Welcome back to the Wisdom for Business and Life podcast. I'm your host, Avi Brackman. Thank you so much again for joining me today. Today, I'm going to talk about the Talmud again. Now, as I've mentioned in this podcast previously, I am part of the group of people which study one page of Talmud a day. And the Talmud is the magnum opus of Jewish law. It is the text written about 2,000 years ago and has in it amalgamation and a compendium of ideas and thoughts and argumentations of ancient sages, Jewish sages. And uh, this is, I think, a really important thing for people who are of the Jewish culture and background and heritage to study because it really has in it some of the ideas and wisdom teachings of the Jewish sages all the way back to almost the beginning of Judaism. It's a multi-layered text. Today, we finish the tractate of Nazir. And I want to give a synopsis of the tractate of Nazir, what it was about, and the wisdom that we can learn from it, and some of the subtext around this concept of Nazir. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So let's start from the beginning. Nazir, what is it? Well, Nazir could mean separated or consecrated. And the idea is that it says in the Hebrew Bible, in Numbers chapter 6, verse 1 through 21, that a man or woman who makes an oath to be a Nazir to separate themselves to God, they shouldn't shave their head with a razor the entire time that they are a Nazir. They should not drink wine, and including in not drinking wine is also not drinking or eating anything which comes from grapes. They should not contaminate themselves by coming in contact with a dead person. So that's more or less what they shouldn't do, not drink wine, anything associated with grapes. They should not become ritually impure by coming into contact with a dead person. They should also not cut their hair. Now, at the end of the time that they had decided to be a Nazir, they can then once again become ritually impure by coming into touch with a corpse. They can drink wine and they should now cut their hair. And not only should they cut their hair, but they should actually shave their entire head with a razor. So that's what a Nazir is, and the entire tractate is talking about the different circumstances in which the person can become a Nazir, what they need to do when they're a Nazir, how their and their Nazirite status ends, what kind of sacrifices and, and what kind of rituals they need to do in order to finish this period of time in which they are a Nazir. So all those details are are interesting, but what I would like to talk about is this concept of becoming a Nazir. Why would a person want to become a Nazir, and what is this designation? Is this different than all the other precepts and commandments and rituals that are found in the Hebrew Bible and the Torah? And finally, what is the wisdom in this that we can take for our life and also potentially for our business? So I want to start off with the beginning of the tractate. It wants to understand why is this tractate of Nazir, why is it in the section of the Talmud that talks about laws that relate to females and to women? 
There's a whole section called Seda Nashim, which literally means the order of women, and it's all laws and ideas that relate to women. And so the question is, why is Nazir, the talk about becoming a Nazir, why is that within the order or the tractates and the section of the Talmud that talks about women? And the answer that is given is because someone who sees a sota, the kid kula, should stop drinking wine, should separate themselves from wine. And what's a sota bekilkula? Well, that's the next tractate that we're talking about. So Nazir comes first and then the tractate of sota. Sota is literally the idea of the wayward wife. And this uh, to modern day ears might sound very sexist and perhaps even misogynistic. However, this is the the way the ancients thought about it, and that is that if a man suspected that his wife had been unfaithful with another man, but he wasn't able to prove it, then that woman became designated as a sota. A sota is the wayward wife, and there's a whole process which that man would then go through with his wife in order to be able to prove or disprove the fact that his wife had been faithful or not faithful. So that's what a sota is. It's a wayward wife. Now, during that process in which they're trying to figure out whether she was faithful or not, there is a ritual which they go through, and that ritual doesn't necessarily make the woman look attractive, etc. And it's done at the temple, and something which people are able to see that this is going on. So it basically says that anyone who is able to see this ritual going on with the wayward wife, that person should then clear themselves, separate themselves from drinking wine. And that's really difficult to understand. Like, what is the connection between that and Nazir? Well, the answer is, well, that's why it's in the section, because the idea of separating yourself from drinking wine is connected with this concept of the wayward wife, which is also part of the section of the Talmud, which talks about ideas and laws related to women, and therefore Nazir should be next to the uh, tractate of Sota, and therefore it should be part of the section that talks about women. It's really uh, a difficult thing to understand, this sort of tenuous connection between these two things. So what is really going on here? What is really the connection between these things? In order to answer this question, I want to talk about another section of the Torah, which talks about Abraham when he sacrificed his son, Isaac. God told Abraham that he should take his son, Isaac, to the place that he will show him. He ended up taking him to Mount Moriah. And Abraham was under the impression that he needed now to sacrifice his son on the altar as a offering to God. And to do that, he was going to have to slaughter his son and then offering as an offering to God. And the last minute, an angel came out and said, no, 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 you don't have to do it. And his son was saved. And uh, Abraham didn't sacrifice his son. Instead, he sacrificed an animal to God. And that's basically the story in a nutshell. This story brings up all kinds of questions. One of them is, how was it possible that Abraham, who was considered to be such a pious person, would consider murder as a way in which he showed his devotion to God? And how could a God ask Abraham to 
commit murder in order to be able to show his devotion to him. A lot of people think that this was a test, that Abraham was tested to see whether he would give up the thing which he loved so much, which was his son Isaac. Don't forget, Isaac was born when Abraham was very old. He was his only son of his most beloved wife, Sarah. And here the question is, are you willing to give up that thing which you love so much in order to show your devotion to God? The question is, what kind of God would ask a person to sacrifice and kill his son in order to show his devotion to him? That doesn't sound like a God that any of us necessarily want to be involved with. And what type of person would be willing to sacrifice their son in order to placate this God? It's... a a very perplexing question. And it's one where the philosophers and students of religion and of the Bible have asked for many years. And there are many bottles of ink which have been spilled over this. And Kierkegaard talks about this. He's got an entire book about this. And that book is called Fear and Trembling. It's a fascinating book and one of the best, if you ask me, one of the best explanations and explorations of this idea of the binding of Isaac, the Akidah, as it's known in Hebrew. And in a nutshell, one of the things he says is that what took place here was a what he calls a movement of faith. And he says that he doesn't have the courage to take what he calls a movement of faith. But he goes through these different levels of human behavior, and the highest of which he calls a movement of faith. And he considers this the paradox of faith. And the paradox of faith is that on the one hand, in faith, you are called to do something which could redound really poorly upon you and others. And if it's wrong, it could also damage your relationship with God. So you're asked to, in a sense, sacrifice everything, including your relationship with God, in order to do this movement of faith. And he talks about this idea of ethics and something which transcends ethics. So you have ethics, which is this universal set of laws which everyone agrees to, and we discussed this in last episode, approximate themselves to this perfect ethical paradigm and by doing so become a much more ethical person. And there are people who study the Torah, for example, who those people care deeply about ethics. The laws in the Bible, they're ethical laws for the most part. They teach you how to become an ethical person, how not to cheat in business, how to treat your fellow, how to treat the poor and the needy and the orphans. Teaches you how to be an upright person. Teaches you how to interact with your fellow person, but also with God. These are all ideas of ethics. Much of the laws of the Torah are really ethics. So people who want to be ethical and want to approximate themselves and their behavior with this ethical truth, they will spend time studying the Torah, studying these ethical codes, whatever religion that might come from, and then trying to approximate their behavior with those ethical laws so that they become ethical beings. And that is really act of devotion. Now, according to Kierkegaard, that's not 
an act of faith, though. That's still below faith. That's just a person trying to become an ethical individual. Now, an act of faith is such that you transcend ethics. So in a sense, when you get to the next level, what he calls the movement of faith, you are asked to do something which might not be ethical. As a matter of fact, it might contravene ethics entirely. And when you do that, you are now putting everything at risk. You're putting your entire enterprise working really hard to become this ethical person. You're putting that at risk. Plus, if you think that your relationship with God is defined by ethics, which according to the Torah it is, because all these acts, mitzvot, and mitzvot, some people think, means that it's a tzav It's through that which you are connecting yourself with God. It's a connection with God through the mitzvot. And by transcending that, you're contravening those ethical laws, and therefore you might, in a sense, be cutting yourself off from God. But that is sometimes what one is called to do in order to get to the next level, to get to the level of faith. So now, let's talk a little bit about what a Nazir does. A Nazir is a person who doesn't drink wine and doesn't cut hair. Interestingly, in general life, it is considered in many ways a good thing to drink wine. For example, one is supposed to drink wine on the nights of Passover. Passover is next week, and there is a rabbinic dictate to drink four cups of wine, or at least grape juice, on the first night of Passover, on the Seder night. There is also a mitzvah, a commandment, to drink wine on the festival. And it's also a good thing to make kiddush on Friday night on wine. Now, true, it doesn't have to be wine. It could be grape juice. But it is considered to be a mitzvah to consume the derivatives of grapes, whether it has alcoholic content or not. It is still a good thing to drink the derivatives of grapes. And part of the normative religion is to drink wine or drink juice, which comes from grapes. Whereas a Nazir is not supposed to drink wine at all. In a sense, that would contravene that which is normative. The other thing is that when the Nazir is finished, he should shave his head, especially with a razor. Now, according to normative Torah, the law is that one should never shave one's head with a razor. As a matter of fact, there is a law which says that one shouldn't shave one's head at all with a razor. However, when you are a Nazir, at the end of that, you can contravene that law and you can shave your head with a razor. So, being a Nazir is you're consecrating yourself to God. In a sense, it's an act of faith. And in that act of faith, you end up doing things that when on a normal manner of things, you wouldn't be allowed to do. Either it would be forbidden or you would have to do it. And you contravene those things when you are a Nazir or when you complete being a Nazir. So this really has within it, being a Nazir, this idea of transcending what would be normative ethics. The Nazir is the idea of going beyond what would be normative ethics. There is no obligation 
that one has to ever take on being a Nazir. It's something which is totally voluntary. If the person decides they want to become a Nazir, they can, but you're not obligated to do it. But once you make that act and you move on to that level of being a Nazir, for whichever time period that you have chosen that you're going to become a Nazir, now the laws of ethics change in a sense. Now you keep your hair long rather than than cutting it, which is what one would do normally. Normally, it's not necessarily considered to be a positive thing to grow one's hair long. And not only does one cut it at the end, but one cuts it all the way off and one shaves it with a razor, which is normally something which one would not be allowed to do. So as part of being a Nazir, you turn this on its head. Once you finish growing your hair out long, you then shave it with a razor, which is usually considered something which is forbidden. And at the same time, you stop drinking grapes or wine or any derivative of grapes, which is normally considered to be a good thing, like the four cups on a Seder night or making Kiddush on wine. Those are considered to be good things, and those things become forbidden. You stop doing it. You don't do those commandments when you are a Nazir. In other words, the laws change when you become a Nazir. The normal ethical things, which are the right way to behave for a non-Nazir, those laws become suspended, and there are now, you're contravening in many ways those laws when you are a Nazir. This is a little bit of the idea of what happened with Abraham. So Abraham, his normative life was, he was living his life in approximation with these ethical behaviors to become this ethical person. And then at some point in his life, he was transcended that and he was called to do something beyond that. And that was to sacrifice his son Isaac. Now that's an extreme version of it, but the concept is still there that he's now ended the laws of ethics. And when you transcend the laws of ethics in an act of faith, to God. Don't forget, it's Nazir to God. When you're called upon to do that, and then you voluntarily behave in that way, some of the laws, the normative laws of ethics, then go away. Let's go back to them, and in light of this, to explain what it says in the beginning of the Tractate of Nazir, where it says that someone who sees a sota, remember, that's the wayward wife, you see her undergoing the ritual to see whether she has been faithful or not, you should nazir yourself from wine. Why is that and what's the connection? Well, now we might be able to understand it in light of what we have now explained. Because what's really going on here? There are the rules of ethics that a person behaves with. Ethical people do not act unfaithfully towards their spouse. Now, the person who is seeing this lady as she's undergoing this ritual he didn't act inappropriately at all he's just a bystander he sees it so why is it that he needs to now nazir himself from wine what is the connection there well the concept of a sota is the exact opposite of the concept of a nazir let me explain because a sota is a person who seemingly has failed a great fundamental of ethics. They have made a commitment to their spouse. They will be exclusive to their spouse. They failed in that commitment. They cheated on their spouse. Not only is that a grave ethical lapse, but is also one which is a sin towards God and hurts a lot of other people, hurts their spouse. 
It hurts the community. It hurts the person who they were unfaithful with. So it really is a fundamental and very damaging aberration to the code of ethics. A person who behaves in that way, one might say, they haven't yet been able to at all approximate their life to some kind of ethical perfection. They are below ethics in some ways. In order to become a Nazir, you have to first become a perfectly ethical person. And then only after you've become a perfectly ethical person, then you can transcend ethics. And then at that point, you no longer can drink wine, you, you grow out your hair, and at the end of that, you shave your head with a razor, which is something which ordinarily, according to the Bible, would not be allowed. So you can then contravene the laws of ethics. So you have the juxtaposition of these two things. Number one, you have the Sota Bikir Kula. Sota is the next tractate we're going to study. The Sota is somebody who, in a sense, as I mentioned, they're completely not with any program, below ethics entirely. And then you have the Nazir, someone who's already gone through the entire ethical program. And they're, they're so perfect at it that they're able to transcend it. Those juxtaposition of these two things next to each other. The Nazir on the one hand and the Sota on the other hand. Now somebody who sees, somebody who had, has lost their way to the degree that they're now undergoing this ritual treatment to see, did they in fact become unfaithful or not? That person seems to have failed the test of ethics entirely. They never have even reached any kind of approximation with ethical laws. In fact, they probably haven't spent their time studying and trying to approximate themselves in order to become ethical. Someone who sees that, they should understand that they now need to go through and become as perfectly ethical as they can to the degree that they now can transcend ethics and that they now stop drinking wine and become a Nazir. In other words, when a person sees somebody who has failed so utterly in their ability to be ethical, one realizes that the only true way to be able to get to the telos, the ultimate of what humans can be, is through trying as hard as one can to approximate oneself with those ethical truths and realities to become totally and utterly ethical to the degree that you now are able to go and take that movement of faith to become a Nazir to now transcend ethics. And that's truly, if you like, the idea of elevating the idea of, an, of, of Zota, which is, which is the negative of a Nazir. It's the exact opposite of what a Nazir is. The Zota breaks ethics in a very negative sense. The Nazir breaks ethics in a very positive sense. They somehow can be seen like they're the same. A Sota has broken ethics. She has acted in a way which causes her husband to suspect that she's been unfaithful. The Nazir is breaking ethics because he's shaving his head with a razor. He's not drinking wine, which is something which is a positive thing. And they're both kind of creating an aberration to ethics. One is doing it by not caring about ethics at all, and the other one is doing it because they've perfected themselves to such a degree within the ethical behavior that they can now transcend it.
What can we learn from all of this? Well, a Nazir is something which someone volunteers to become. You can volunteer to become a Nazir. But it happens after you've worked on yourself to the degree that you have now perfected your ability to be an ethical human being, and now you're going to the next stage. And that takes a tremendous amount of dedication and discipline and care. And only then can you get to the next stage. Some people think becoming incredibly successful in anything can just happen to you. It's just out of luck. It can never happen just out of luck. You only get there legitimately if you've worked really hard on it. And then it becomes this meaningful thing. I would argue that actually this juxtaposition of the Sata and the Nazir together is telling you that if you haven't worked on yourself to become this perfect ethical human being and then you become a Nazir, then you might as well be a Sota. In other words, if you think that you're on the level where you can transcend ethics, contravene ethical laws because you're so perfect, if you truly haven't perfected your ethical behavior and you do that, you've actually done the opposite. You're like you are a Sota rather than a Nazir. And that's a just position of these two things. So you have to be really clear and honest with yourself where you are in this movement of life. Are you still perfecting yourself to become an ethical, moral, and good human being? And if you are, then you're still in that journey. You're not ready yet to transcend it. If you're a person who falls down often and gets into the sota category, then of course you're no longer there. You can only transcend it when you've perfected yourself in ethics, and that takes a tremendous amount of time. So you need to be well aware of who you are and where you are. This has been Levy Brackman with the Wisdom for Business and Life podcast. It has been the Hadron, the ending, the synopsis, if you like, on the tractate of Nazir. We now start the next tractate of Sota, and I will, when we finish that, in a number of months' time, I will then give a synopsis of that as well. Next week, I will be talking about the wisdom inherent in the festival of Passover, because next week is Passover. Meanwhile, have a wonderful day and week.